be here today. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, that as a church, we do what God has commanded us to do. Jesus said to the disciples, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He said to teach them everything I've taught you. He said to baptize them. And we've got a pastor who is willing to model that and show that to us. We've got Pastor Wilson out on assignment doing the Great Commission with Pastor Billings. They're in Ghana today. They're preaching the gospel. They're teaching the gospel. They're doing what God has called us as the church to do. Amen. Amen. We should be excited about that. That means that we're on the move because we feel the presence of God in our lives and we respond to that. Yeah. So I'm excited to be part of this church today. Yeah. I'm excited and I'm, I'm in, uh, in awe that, that that pastor says, okay, Tom, you're up. Yeah. It's one thing to come to 8 o'clock, right? right? But to do 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock while he's gone, that's a heavy responsibility. Yeah. I got the burden of carrying the Lord's word with the over-shepherd of Pastor Wilson saying, do it right, son. <laughs> but I think I'm okay today, amen? Uh, I got a family here. I got my beautiful wife out here. I'm excited. So if I get stuck, it's because I'm looking over there. Okay? Look over. Amen. Okay, you only got one time. Only one time? Well, too bad. I got the microphone. <laughs> Family, would you stand with me? Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Yeah. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. That's the last chapter of James. We're not far be, uh, before getting into 1 Peter, so we're going to be in James, chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 13. Amen. So, I'm not hearing pages turn. That must mean you're swiping left and getting to where you need to be. And, so let me pray as some of you are still looking. Father God, we're grateful today. We're grateful that we are in your presence, that your Holy Spirit is here with us today. We're grateful, O oh God, that in this world of turmoil, in this world of trouble, in this world of sadness and disappointment, that God, because of our faith in you, we have hope. We have hope eternal. Yes, Lord. So God, would you, would, you, would you stay with us just a little bit longer today? Would you be with us right now as we open up the word that you have left us? As yes. we look at this beautiful love letter that you have written for us. God, as we go deeper in our relationship with us, with you, God, we ask that you would do something in our hearts and in our lives today. Yes. We pray, oh God, that the word would stir something within us. Yes. It would stir us into action. It would stir us into um, reaching the world and reaching the lost. Please, God. God, I pray today that you would forgive me of my sins. Mm. Wash me clean that there would be nothing that stands in between me and you and your word reaching these people. Yes, God. Father, we love you today. We, we pray, oh God, that somebody would hear something today that it would either convict their hearts or bring them to repentance. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Are y'all at James chapter 5 yet? Yes, sir. Amen. 
And it reads, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Then James writes, And the prayer of faith, it will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. So confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Pray that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. You see, Elijah, he was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. All right. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Family, you may be seated. Yes, You know, as I looked at our church values, you know, we're in the middle of a four-week series of preaching the, the church values of New Beginnings. If you missed it a couple of weeks ago, we preached on the first value of the church, and that was Bible study. Last week, Pastor Cochran reminded us that as a church, we value stewardship. We also value ministry and mission as part of our values. That's who we are as new beginnings. And so we see that God is doing work when we are committed to Bible study, when we're committed to stewardship, when we're committed to missions, when we're committed to ministry, and when we're committed to prayer. That's our fifth uh, value of new beginnings. So as I looked at prayer and I looked at these verses, I, you know me, I try to make things live in a different way. So bear with me here. I just want to read you a few things that I came across my path as I was studying. I came across things like, life is short, so pray hard. Pray more and worry less. Prayer changes things. Prayer is the key that unlocks the door to everything. Right? Prayer is power, and, and, and sometimes all it takes is just a little prayer. Right? But a family that stays together, or prays together, what? Stays. stays together, right? Here's another one I know you know. When prayers go up, yeah. lessons come down, yeah. right? Family, it seems that everywhere we look, there is some saying that reminds us of what prayer can do. Right. We're told that prayer connects us to God. Yeah. We're supposed to pray with persistence. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. Yeah. And you know, here at New Beginnings, we have some sayings about prayer too. We say and we declare that as a church, we will value prayer in the life of our community. We believe that if we come together and we seek the face and the will of God in prayer, that there is power. We believe that prayer is the engine that what? Drives the church. Amen. We believe that when we lay aside our anxieties and we present our requests to God in prayer, in supplication, and with thanksgiving, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and guard our minds. 
We believe these things because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We believe these things because the Bible shows us the value, the purpose, and the promise of prayer as a privilege. It's a privilege to those who love God and have a personal and intimate relationship with Him. This is not something that a non-believer has the privilege to do. And because of our relationship with God, these sayings are more than just words to us. They're more than just those cute little plaques that we see at Hobby Lobby that we put up on our walls and outside of our houses. They're more than just a tagline we put at the end of our text messages or our email messages. They're more because they hold some value. They illustrate our faith. They, 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 they sometimes are the only thing that we can hold on to in the midst of a storm to help us to remember that we need to seek God if we expect to experience change in our lives. Now, family, I, I found as I searched, as I just did life, that there's another saying that's floating around that's, that's pretty common in today's world. It's up there. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. That's the go-to phrase today that floats around when another Parkland tragedy strikes. That's the response when an earthquake shakes the earth and when a hurricane hits, when the unexpected adversity comes knocking at our door. Thoughts and prayers. We see it all over Facebook. We see it over Twitter, Instagram. We hear it in the news. We hear it from our politicians. We hear it from our entertainers. And I venture to believe that some of us here have said it ourselves. Thoughts and prayers. You know, we say these things because we believe it shows the world that we are engaged in the situation at hand. It shows that we care. It, it shows that we have some compassion. And for a while, it really seemed to help, Right? People of prayer, people of faith, they were praying and thinking about others. They, 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 they put their own issues aside and they got on their knees and they really prayed for the condition of the people that they didn't even know. Right, right. And as a result of that, some of those people came to faith in Christ. Yeah. It might not have changed their situation, but it certainly changed their perspective. That's right. But you know what I found, church? I found that the world has grown weary of hearing thoughts and prayers. But can you blame them? From their perspective, they're just, just words of no value. They make up a catchphrase that feigns sympathy, compassion, and support. The reason why they see it that way is because they're looking at it, they're hearing it through worldly filters, through worldly eyes and worldly ears. What problem is, is they are not connected to the one living and true God, and because of that, it means nothing. Because of the filters that they hear the words thoughts and prayers through, they start to ask some questions. They ask questions like, if thoughts and prayers really did something, why wasn't Columbine the first and last mass school shooting? They ask questions like, if thoughts and prayers really work, why, why, why... did the First Baptist Church get shot up that Sunday morning as they gathered to pray? Why is it that, 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 that the shooter came in that Wednesday evening at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston and killed all those people? Thoughts and prayers. Now see, I found that when they come 
to the conclusion after they've asked these questions, they recognize and they believe that there is no purpose and there is no power in prayer. And because they believe there's no purpose and power in prayer, they believe that there's no God. They say you're praying to someone who doesn't exist. You're just, you're just mumbling idle words. They're just going up and nobody's listening. But you see, what they fail to realize is these things happen not because there isn't a loving God. Right? That's what the world tells them. Because there's no God, how, how could this happen? If he loved us, how could this happen? It's not because there isn't a loving God. They don't understand that these things happen because of the condition of sin that has run rampant in our world. They don't understand because they don't believe. Now, family, there's three things I want to look at in today's verses to help us get back on track so that we can show the world that there is value in prayer. Right. Amen? Amen? Number one, we're going to talk about the prerequisites for prayer. Right. Number two, we're going to look at the plan for prayer. Okay. And number three, we're going to look at the power of prayer. Okay. Prerequisites, plan, and power. Not too bad for a preacher that doesn't like to preach out of points, eh? <laughs> Family, before I dive into my points, i got to give you some background. i got to let you know where we're at. We're here in the book of James, right? And if I were to sum up the book of James, this epistle that he wrote to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians that were spread across the world, um, I would tell you something like, this book was probably written between 55 and 60 A.D., in that 30 to 35 years uh, after Christ had uh, died, been buried and resurrected. I would tell you something like, uh, if you look at it chronologically, the book of James was probably one of the first books that was written. This was written before the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was written before the book of Acts. But you see, God in His wisdom was doing something. James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he'd been a pastor for about three year, 30 years, been sharing uh, the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so he felt that he had an obligation to reach out to mature believers, people that had been walking with Christ for a little while, to remind them of what a mature believer should look like, should act like, and love like. He was reaching out to the mature crowd. I'm not talking about the old crowd. I'm talking about the mature crowd. You can still be a child and be more mature in Christ than some adults. What he was talking about, though, was putting his faith into action. What James actually said, he said, faith without works is dead. And as I looked at this, uh, my study resources explained it this way. They said, faith must work. It must produce. It must be visible. Verbal faith is not enough. Thoughts and prayers is not enough. Mental faith is insufficient. Me thinking about something, not good enough. Faith must be there, but it must be more. It must inspire action. In other words, what our brother James is telling the believer, that true faith must manifest itself through the works of faith. That's right. My Olive Tree Study Bible summed up all of James's epistle. 
It said, faith endures trials. Yeah. Trials come and trials go, but a strong faith will face them head on and develop endurance. All right. Faith understands temptation. Faith obeys the word. It will not merely hear and not do because faith produces doers. Faith harbors no prejudice. Faith displays itself in works. And faith is more than just mere words. It is more than knowledge. It is demonstrated by obedience. And it overtly responds to the promises of God. What I'm trying to say is faith acts wisely. It gives us the ability to choose wisdom that is heavenly and to shun wisdom that is earthly. I like this explanation because it reminds us that there are prerequisites to prayer. So let's look at the verses again. If you've got your Bibles open, I need you to be with me because I'm kind of taking us on a journey here. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and then the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you might be asking yourself, where is it that he sees the prerequisites for prayer in these verses? Well, we go through it, James wrote about suffering coming before prayer. He wrote about sickness coming before prayer. He wrote about sin in our lives as a reason to pray. So I ask myself, really? Those are prerequisites for prayer? These are the things that need to happen before we pray? That we need to suffer? We need to be sick? That we need to be sin-filled? Family, let me ease your hearts. Let me ease your, ease your minds that that, that, that while suffering, sickness, and sin are things that we need to pray about, they are simply conditions that we as the church are called to pray for. You see, the prerequisite for prayer is found in those in-between words in these verses. The prerequisite for prayer is found in the words among and one another. Among and one another. In order for us to pray and have any power at all in prayer, we have to be people of faith. Right? Faith in what, you might ask? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Faith that he came from heaven and he lived a perfect and sinless life. The faith that he was nailed to the cross, that he bore our sins, that he shed his blood. Faith that he died on the cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. It's faith that, he, uh, that we understand he has ascended back to the right hand of God and is alive today. So in order for us to have effective prayer, there is a prerequisite, and that is our faith. We must be joined together in faith. So i got a question for you today, New Beginnings. Are you a person of that kind of faith? Do you believe? Because, you know, prayer is for the believer. Prayer is for the faithful. Prayer is reserved for the child of God. Prayer is for those that belong to the body of the church because prayer is a communication, an open communication between a heavenly God 
and his earthly children. Uh, I told 8 o'clock this morning that, that, that if I'm going to t make these claims, I've got to take you to ABI 101, right? I've got to give you some Bible for my theology, right? So, so, so this is what it says. The Word of God, God said, If my people who are called by my name, you do know when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he changes your name. He, he writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and somewhere in there he, he might have said Leighton Tong, but then it gets scratched out. It says Leighton, son of Yahweh. It says Brittany, daughter of the Most High. We become children of God and our names have become changed and so we are called by His name. If we, as those people that are called by His name, if we would humble ourselves, if we would pray and seek His face, if we turn from our wicked ways, then God makes a promise. He says, I will heal, uh, hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That's a promise to the children of God. And as children of God, as the church, it is time for us to put our faith in action and make sure that thoughts and prayers are not just idle words. It's time to show the world that thoughts and prayers actually change things. It's time to show the world that thoughts and dear prayers are indeed the engine that drives the church. My brothers and my sisters, when I... When, when, I, when, I, when I look around this world, yeah. it's clear to me that we need more than ever for the people of God to come together and pray. Yes. We need to bring our thoughts and our prayers to our Heavenly Father who listens to us, who listens for us. You see, what God is telling us through Pastor James here is that we need to come together in unity and pray because that's where the power is at. We need to pray together corporately as a body because, again, a family that prays together stays together, right? That's what we've got to do. You ready for the application? I'm trying to move along. I'm trying to get us through this here. But, but, but we've been through some change lately here at New Beginnings. I don't know if you've noticed that. But we've been on a little bit of a journey for these past 10 years. And sometime in January, sometime in December, right, we made this left-hand turn. We split into two campuses, and we said, we're going to follow this model by using cell groups. What we're going to do is we're going to grow bigger by getting smaller, right? right. That's what we decided. That's what, no, no, excuse me. That's what pastor heard God tell him when he sought him in prayer. Yeah. Right? Yep. So here's the application. The reason for cell groups, the reason for these small groups are so that we can connect in a way that we've never connected before. James asked, is there anyone among you? You've got to be part of a group to be among somebody else. Now, now I admit that we would love as a whole body of new beginnings to come together and to seek God in prayer. To confess our trespasses to one another, to get our sicknesses healed, to, to cry about and lament about our suffering. But the problem is, is we're willing only to come for a couple hours on Sunday morning, and then we're back on our own. That's, that's really what thoughts and actions in, in, or thoughts and prayers in action really is. 
just coming and going, not really doing anything. Right. But cell groups are designed that we can draw closer yeah. as we grow smaller. That's good. In these smaller groups, we develop different relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We develop deeper relationships. Yeah. We develop devoted relationships. Right. In these different deeper and devoted relationships, it becomes easier for us to know who's sick. That's right. It's easier for us to know who is and how they are suffering. Right. It becomes that safe place yes, where we can confess our sins to one another. Yeah, yeah. Family, that's what it means to do life together. Yeah, right. That's what it means to bear the infirmities of the weak or to bear one another's burdens. That's exactly what God wants us to do. Right he wants us to live in a community so that when these things happen amongst us, that we can take action for one another. We need to be a community of people of faith in Jesus Christ if we expect the prayers that we lift up for those among us to be anything more than meaningless and repetitious words. You know, there's people out there that call themselves believers. And they lift up these things that they call prayers that mean nothing. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and so therefore, what they say means nothing. They're, repeti uh, they're repeating the same words over and over and over, and they wonder why nothing happens. Nothing happens because there is no power in that prayer, because they haven't met the prerequisites. They're meaningless words. Now, I'll tell you, once we've met the prerequisites... Once we have a common faith in Jesus Christ, we can pray, and point number two, uh -huh. see the plan for prayer in action. Right. In the beginning of this epistle, James exhorts us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Right, right. Right? If you've ever heard me preach before, I'm a guy that likes to ask questions when I read the Bible. I'm a guy that when I, when, when I study, I, I literally say, God, are you serious? So I looked at this and I said, James, why should we count it all joy when we fall into various trials? And he says, because it is through this testing of our faith, it will produce patience. He tells us that patience will do something in our lives. He tells us it will perfect and complete us. Through it, we will lack nothing. So when we find ourselves suffering and sick, we should count it all joy. Because it should usher us into the presence of God through prayer with other people of faith. Yes. Prayer tests our faith. Prayer tests what we believe in God, what he, what he will do, what he said his promises are. Prayer perfects our faith. It completes us. Prayer does this because it is through prayer that we draw closer to God and we learn to depend upon him. Prayer like this. It manifests the same type of work and results that Christ did when he walked this earth. Christ's prayers heal the sick. Christ's prayers healed the blind. Christ's prayers cast out demons. Christ's prayers forgave sin. We've got to pray just like this. And if you look back at your Bibles, uh, uh, you'll see the promise that God has here in James. He says that the prayer of faith 
it will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. What I'm telling you is there is a plan for prayer. We've met the prerequisite and the plan is that we come together and that we pray. We pray for one another. We pray for the sick, for the suffering, and for those who are afflicted by sin. But guess what? We don't have to do anything else after that. We don't have to bake them a cake. We don't have to take them some soup. We don't have to do any of that stuff. All we've got to do is pray. Because James says, the Lord will raise them up. That goes back to that promise way back that I told you about. If my people who are called by my name. He promised he would do something. He promised he would heal us. He promised that he would uh, forgive our sins. So here I go again. I said, James, what is a prayer of faith? How do I pray the prayer of faith? Right? So I open my Bible and I'm flipping through. It's got to be here somewhere. I know when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. Remember that? The Lord's Prayer, right? He gave them a formula. He gave them a pattern. He gave them a way to seek the Father's will. So I said, is that the prayer of faith? No. What's the prayer of faith? It has to be here somewhere. I'm searching Google, right? Prayer of faith. Prayer of what is the... And then I decided to do something kind of original. I opened up that old book, that commentary from Warren Wiersbe, and and he reminded me that the prayer of faith wasn't specific words in a specific pattern or format that we have to recite as some people believe. We're not like those people. We're called out. We're different, right? He said that the prayer of faith is a prayer offered when you know the will of God. Right? So again, here comes the questions. Okay, now I know what the prayer of faith is. What is the will of God? This time, Warren didn't have the answers. This time, Google didn't have the answers. Why? Because God answered me himself. He reminded me that if I am to know the will of God, I've got to study his word. And I've got to seek his face in prayer. In order for us to know the will of God, we need to know who he is. What he has told us in his word. And we need to seek him in our prayers so that our hearts and that our minds and that our prayers, they would line up with his will and not our own. In our own will, we pray for the things that we want to be happened in a way that we desire so that we're satisfied. That's right. When we pray in our will, we don't see the entire plan. That's right. Right? Who amongst us hasn't done that? Lord, would you please heal my baby? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lord, would you please save my son? Yeah. Lord, would you pull us out of this poverty? Yeah. Lord, would you just make something happen right now? Yeah. The problem with those prayers is they're self-centered and not God-centered. The problem with those prayers is we're only seeing right in front of our face. We're not looking down the road. We're not looking to all eternity. We're not understanding that God sees the whole picture and he has a plan for our lives. Sometimes suffering is on the menu. Sometimes sickness is on our path. Sometimes we fall into our sin. I don't know. I I don't fall into it. I walk into it. 
Family, we've got to get to the point where our prayers, where our seeking prayers, sound something like this. Father, if there is any other way, would you take this cup? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. My brothers and my sisters, when we pray the prayers of faith, when we are faithful people of prayer, when we pray like our Savior did, it will help to ease the suffering of those among us. It will help to save the sick of those around us. It will cause the sins that have been committed to be forgiven. It's not our work, it's his work. So if we're really serious about using the, the, the phrase thoughts and prayers, then we need to get serious about our thoughts and prayers. Right, right. We need to get them to line up with God's will and God's word. That's right. Again, here comes the question train. It makes it easy for me to preach because I just write questions, right? And then I give you the answers that God tells me. It makes it really easy. Well, God says, you know what? I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Right, right. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and to give you hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Wow. Oh, there's so much promise oh, in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and you will seek me and you will find me. And when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. And then guess what? He makes another promise. He says, I will bring you back from your captivity. He will release us. He will let us go from the bondage and from the chains. New beginnings, that, those are the thoughts that God has towards us. That is God's will for us. It is that we would seek him with all of our hearts. And when we do that, he will free us from the captivity of our sin, which leads to nothing more than sickness, suffering, and separation. You say, Reverend, that's, that's Old Testament scripture. Those are Old Testament plans. Those are Old Testament thoughts. What about today? Give me something fresh. Something in the last, say, mm, 2,000 years. <laughs> Bible says in the New Testament that God had a plan to bring us out of our captivity. Yeah. Right? What's that plan? Well, he said, for God so loved the world. Yeah. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, if God's plan was to save the world, if God's plan was to save the lost, if God's plan was to bring us back from captivity, it is up to us to show the world that after a tragedy, after a disaster, that after a calamity happens, that thoughts and prayers have a different purpose. Amen. That our thoughts and our prayers, they have a specific plan. Yeah, yeah. Now I found that the, the, the thoughts and prayers at times like this, after something has happened, uh -huh. really aren't to reveal God, no, no. but they're to help heal a hurting nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're to help heal a hurting nation. Mm -hmm. Our lives, yes. our lives, new beginning, mm -hmm. should be something 
that God uses to show the world who He is. That's right. If they're going to know that there is a one living and true God, if they know that there is a way out of their sin, if they want to know that they can be saved, we've got to show them the Jesus in us. I'm trying to come down here, and I just want to let you know that if you have an understanding now that there is a prerequisite to prayer. Yeah. And because there's a prerequisite to prayer, there's also a plan for our prayers. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So let me wrap things up, and we're going to look at the power of prayer. Yeah. The power of prayer. So if you still got your Bibles open, turn yeah. to verse 16b. That's the second half of verse 16. It says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. That's a drought. And then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruits. You see, family, Elijah, the prophet of God, accomplished much yeah. with his effective and fervent prayer. Yes, but you say, of course, he was a prophet of God. He was called out. He was anointed. He was a special man of God, so his prayers are different. Because God pulled him out and set him apart for a different purpose, of course his prayers were heard. I'm here to tell you, read the text again. Yeah. It says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He was a prophet, but he was still just a man. He was made of flesh, and as one made of flesh, he was susceptible to, and he was hindered by sin. I'm here to tell you that he was no different than us. We each and every one of us, we have a purpose that God has created us for. For Elijah, it was a prophet to make God known, to make God's will known. Guess what? That's God's will for my life. Some of us have the gift to sing. Some of us have the gift to play. Some of us have the gift to, 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 to love and to provide nurture. Uh, we call that ministry, right? But because we have the same nature as Elijah, we've got to pray the same way he did. He wasn't perfect. The Bible tells us that because he wasn't purpose, he did things just like we did. Yeah. He succumbed to fear and discouragement and ran away. I, this isn't in my notes, but have you ever been so discouraged about your prayer life, about your relationship with God, about what's going on, that you just said, I'm done? That you just ran away? That you just walked away and said, I'm, I'm done reading that Bible. My prayers don't mean anything. He's not hearing me. I want to encourage you that because Elijah had a nature just like ours, you too can have powerful prayers if you just put your faith and trust in God. Yeah. Yeah. If you pray and you pray earnestly, if you pray and you pray fervently, yeah. if you pray and you pray effectively. Yeah. Yeah. But you say, yeah, well, it says he was a righteous man. He wasn't righteous because of him being a prophet. He was righteous because of his faith and his obedience and his trust in God. That's right. That's what gave him righteousness. 
I get it. I'm not righteous. Not even close. So I said, if it's not his righteousness that made his prayers effective, what was it? What was it that made Elijah's prayers so effective that it did the extraordinary for an entire nation? Well, as I studied the verses, I came to the understanding that while his trust in God imputed righteousness in him, it was the effective, fervent prayer that made a difference. Uh, ABI 102. Look it up in the Greek. I looked it up in the Greek and, and I found something really interesting here. It says that, it, it says that, that Elijah, it says he prayed in prayer. It says he prayed in prayer. Is that a syntax thing I don't get? No, he, 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 he took the action of praying in prayer. The Greek word actually said this was an interactive uh, activity. It says it twice. It, it uses two different words for praying and prayer. But the base said it was interactive. It was interactive. What that means? That's a beautiful picture, family. It means that he talked to God and God talked back to him. He sought God fervently. He sought God with an intense passion that nobody else in the land had done. That, my brothers and my sisters, is exactly where the power comes from. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he persisted in prayer and as a result, it didn't rain for three and a half years. Yes, sir. Then the Bible says he prayed again and the heavens gave forth rain that caused the earth to produce fruit. You see, he prayed with power. And the power in his prayer was what made the difference in the nation. It wasn't the rain that benefited them. It wasn't the land that produced the fruit that benefited them. It was the prayer that benefited them. What I'm trying to make clear here is that as disciples of Christ, we too have the same power. When we serve and we love the same God that Elijah loved, we have the same power through prayer to make a difference in our nation and in our world. If we want things to happen in this world, we need to come together and we need to pray fervently. If we say we've heard the voice of God, if we say we've discerned the will of God, then we too, we must put our faith into action and pray just like Elijah. If we want to see our families saved, we've got to pray fervently. If we want to see our friends saved, we've got to pray together. If we want to see our neighbors saved, our coworkers saved, complete strangers saved, we've got to come together and we've got to pray. This, this is how we'll remove the obstacles that we face. This is how suffering will be silenced. This exactly is how sickness will be healed and how sins are forgiven. My brothers and my sisters, we're living in difficult times. I don't think there's been a day this year in the city of Fresno that, that we haven't seen a shooting, we haven't heard about a killing that has gone on in our midst. If my people. Who are called by my name. Family, we have got to pray. If we want to see an end to prostitution, we've got to pray. If we want to see an end to trafficking, to child abuse, to the gang problem, we've got to pray. If we want to see an end to drug abuse and hatred and lying and cheating and stealing, then we must get on our knees and we've got to pray. 
We've got to be serious about our prayers. They can't be these namby-pamby little prayers. Tony Evans calls them the regulars. Oh, Lord, please bless my family. Take care of my children. Thank you for a roof over my head. No, sometimes we've got to call out, Lord! I'm tired of the killing. Lord! I'm sick of the hurt. Lord! We need you. We need you. We need you. That's the kind of people we need to be. That's the kind of prayer we've got to have. My brothers and my sisters, if we want to see our marriages restored, if we want to see the prodigals come home, if we want to see an end to racism, racism, to sexism, and all forms of earthly and fleshly depravity, family, if we want to see the plans of God come to fruition in our nation, then we've got to come together and we've got to pray. So, I'm almost done. As I was seeking for a way to illustrate how our prayer can impact others. God gave me this beautiful illustration on the drive home earlier this week. Left work and I got stopped at the intersection of Palm and Sierra. Eight o'clock, I told them Palm and Shaw. Sorry about this, Sister Pee-wee. But I stopped at Palm and Sierra and I noticed something in the road in front of the cars going the other direction. Now I wrote really here, it didn't matter what it was. It was an obstruction. It was something in the way. Truth is, it was a palm frond. It was a palm branch. It had blown off of one of the trees and in the middle of the storm and it was there in the road in front of the traffic of the people going the other direction. It was an obstruction to a clear path moving forward. It impeded the drivers in that lane from from going straight. It made them veer off in a direction of the path that had been painted on the road to guide them to their destination. I hope you can see what what God's painting here. But what what they had to do is when they came to it, they had to swerve around it. They had to keep from running over it. They couldn't go over their their direction that they wanted to go. They had to get in someone else's lane. They had to put somebody else in danger. And as I watched driver after driver after driver swerve left and swerve right along the narrow path, they made their own path. They made their own way. I get it. The light turns green. We're just barely going. That doesn't seem too dangerous. What happens when we're flying down the road at 50 miles an hour and something suddenly appears in our lane? We make a a quick, swift decision to swerve left or swerve right and suddenly all hell can break loose. We're off the true and narrow path and suddenly we're on the broad road. Different set of consequences, family. So all week long, I, I reflected on what I saw. And I realized, family, this is exactly how we do it. When we encounter something that is difficult in our lives, we just try to go around it. We really don't count it all joy when we suffer and when we're sick. We do all that we can to go around it instead of going through it. God doesn't say we got to go around the valleys. 
He says we got to go through the valley. In order for us to get to the mountaintop, in order for us to experience what God wants us to experience in this life, we got to go through something. We are just like those people and car after car, they do their best to avoid it. And what I found is some of them actually did. They got around, no big deal. But the problem is some of them didn't. You know what happens when you run over something at 50 miles an hour? It kicks up and it hits the person behind you. It causes issues for somebody else around you. But hey, wasn't me. Didn't scratch my car. I'm good. This is what we do. I'll tell you, what got me was that not once, not once did anybody pull over put their car in park, get out, and move the impediment. Not once did anybody do something about what was in the way. It would have been easy. It would have been quick. That's what we do. Every time I pass through that intersection this week, that palm frond remained in place. I drive through that intersection at least twice a day to work and on the way home. And you know what? Friday night, it was still there. I drove to work. I drove home. Then we drove back up to have dinner. Then we drove home. It was in our way Friday night. I saw it in the middle of the intersection. It was laying there. Now, I was going to get up early this morning to go see if it was out there this morning. I'm willing to bet that it was. But you know what I realized? I made a mistake. It was on me. God showed me something, and I did absolutely nothing about it. I had the ability, I had the power, I had the insight, but I still did nothing to remove an obstacle or a stumbling block from the path of the people around me. These might have been people that I knew. These might have been people that I didn't know. But the thing is, is that I had the opportunity and I did nothing. I thought, hey, that's a great point. Ooh, I'm good. Someone at 8 o'clock, someone at 8 o'clock says, well, why did you do nothing, Reverend? Ah, there it is. Someone asked me a question, right? And I had to say, why did I do that? I had to give an answer. I said, because that's what we do. We turn a blind eye and say, that isn't impacting me, so it's not my problem. You, you know what I did? It was, it, was in the, it was in the number one lane. It was in the left-hand lane. And all week long, when I went north on Palm Avenue, before I got to the intersection, I just swerved over the right lane, and I kept on going. I got past it, and I got back in the left lane. I did my thing, my way, ignoring the example and the call for God that he asked me to do something. This is what God was trying to show me. He was trying to show me that as a church, we have the ability to do something about the sin-sick suffering that we see in the world around us. He was showing me that we, as his people, who are called by his name, if we humble ourselves, if we seek his face, and we pray that he would hear from us, he would forgive us, and he would heal our land. He was showing me that we can't just be bystanders. We can't be bystanders in what's going on. We need to take action. We've got to put our faith in action. 
We need to do something. People of this world are lost. They're dying and they're on their way to a burning hell. We've got the answer. But yet we don't want to say the name of Jesus unless we're together as a family. We're afraid to talk about it at work. We're afraid to tell the cashier about it at the grocery store. We've got the power. We've got the opportunity. And yet for some reason we're not willing to share the life-giving message that keeps someone from suffering eternal salvation. He's showing me that because we have met the prerequisite and we understand the plan for prayer, that it is time to tap into the power of prayer and get down on our knees and fervently seek Him. Amen. He's showing us today that prayer does indeed change things. But it won't do anything unless we get serious about our prayers. It won't do much if we're not fervent in our prayers. If we want the world to understand that thoughts and prayers are more than just idle babbling, that we need to put our thoughts and prayers into action and we need to do our part to remove the obstacles that keep them from straying off the path of salvation, that keep them from peace and security because we are not willing to offer up effective and fervent prayers. One more thing and then I'm through. He said Elijah was a righteous man. The Bible also says there is no one righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of us really are righteous, but there is one. There is one who is always righteous. There is one who is righteous today. That's right. I'm talking about Jesus. Right? Conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. Yeah. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus. Sinless in thought, word, and deed. I'm talking about Jesus. Perfect in every way. I'm talking about Jesus. Prayed for us in the garden. I'm talking about Jesus. He was crucified with nails. He was crowned with thorns. He washed our sins with his royal and precious blood. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus. Family, it was Jesus. Jesus. He died. Yes, he did. Didn't he die? He died. He was buried in another man's tomb. And early on Sunday morning, yeah. he was raised from the dead. Yes, sir. Jesus. The good news is that Jesus is alive today. Yes. And because he's alive today, we, we are in his thoughts. Yes. We are in his prayers. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, O Lord, that when we look around us, when we see the suffering and the sickness and the depravity and the sin that seems to abound all around us, thank you for the reminder today that there is a remedy. Yeah. And that remedy is prayer. We thank you for the reminder that there is a prerequisite for prayer that, that we must put our faith and our trust in you in order for prayer to be anything more than just babbling words, repetitious sayings. 
Thank you, O oh God, for reminding us that you have a plan for prayer and that, God, there is power in the prayers that we lift up to you because we are your children. My prayer today, O oh Master, is that somebody today who may have never been able to call you Father, That's right. who may have never been able to call out to you and say, Abba, would hear your voice. My prayer today, O oh God, is that as they hear your voice, as you call them, as you draw them, as you ask them to come into a relationship with you, that they would say yes. They would say yes to you so that the burdens and the issues and the troubles and the suffering and the sickness and the sin in their life will no longer have eternal consequences. That they will be saved. My prayer is, God, as the church, that we would learn to pray this way. We would understand there's a plan and that there's power in your prayer. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I pray that you would flood this place and fill the atmosphere. God, it's your glory that we seek, not our own. We trust in your plan. We trust in your prayers. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, it's, it's decision time. It's, uh, it's invitation time.